1: Welcome back to another episode of the Change Physician podcast. And for today, our guest is Dr. Ford Brewer, who is a returning guest. Um, And we're going to have him give a little bit basic summarization because we have a whole episode telling his fascinating story. But we're going to dive deep into using YouTube as a physician. You know, what's the platform like, what concerns you might have, how did you get started, etc. But Dr. Brewer, thank you so much for joining us
2: back on the Change Physician. Thank you very much. It's uh, good to talk to you again, Kevin and Melissa. Yeah.
1: And, and so could you give us, you know, just give us the, the two minute uh, summary of your background of, uh, you know, why you're in medicine, where you trained, what your experiences are and where you are now.
2: I'll start with a, um, a, a thing that I love to say. My uh, daughter had her 28th birthday a couple of days ago and my son is 24. And I love to, uh, to rub it in to both of them that their 63 year old dad is a full-time social media guy, a (laughs) full-time YouTuber. (laughs) Um, You know, one of the questions would be, we would discuss would be, well, why did you get into YouTube? That was sort of, sort of uh, serendipitous. You know, so many things happen in our lives that just sort of, we, we sort of trip into. Uh, I was doing a, a something that I'd been interested in doing for a long time, doing some uh, preventive, just preventive care with patients. And uh, one of the things that occurred to me, I was sitting in a prevention conference and it cost me a couple of thousand bucks. It was uh, some, it, it was a focus, it was a Bail, Dun- it's called Bail deneen Brad Bail, Amy Dineen, a couple of great people who've been doing Uh, focusing on cardiovascular prevention, the whole concept that we get uh, inflammation in our arteries, uh, cardiovascular inflammation. So very, very heavy on testing. And I thought, you know what, there's a lot of geeks out in the world who would like to to hear this, uh, but just don't have $2,000 to spend. It's not their area. You know, they're, uh, they're an engineer or something else and they just can't justify going to something like this. Now you do get a lot of dental people in there because dentists go to work every day and half the adults they see or more have bleeding gums or inflammation. And most of us think, you know, that's okay. And dentists actually get used to it as well. But the problem is, that's very much related to diabetes and so therefore, bleeding gums when you go to the dentist is very much related to uh, heart attack and stroke. Now, <clears throat> uh, just to, to go back and remind you, I'm a prevention guy. Uh, I started off my career as an ER doc, didn't really know what I wanted to do, was a little bit frustrated that uh, in medical school, most of the things that you learned, now, again, I'm 63, so I was in, and I was in med school young. I graduated, I was, in, I was still in my teens when I started medical school. Uh, I graduated, I think, at 22, maybe 23, so a long time ago. Um, at that point, the whole focus on evidence-based medicine had not even happened yet. You know, these days, a lot of it's, it's come, and the, the changes associated it, with it are not that big. Most people are very comfortable with the focus on evidence-based medicine. Well, where's the research? Where's the evidence that came out of the research that indicates that? Back when I was going through med school, you didn't really talk about that. You talked about, okay, what makes sense? And I think we talked on the last video about the cryptent. tent.
0: Oh yeah. Um, yeah.
2: And, yeah. um, <clears throat> You know, when I was in school, you know, back in the dark ages, you'd walk through there and you'd see, it, when you went on the pediatric wards, you'd see a lot of kids uh, in croup tents, these plastic tents, that, contraptions that were built over their, their bed. And all of that was based on not so much evidence as it was just based on what somebody who happened to be a well-respected doc thought should happen. And, uh, I got, I got frustrated with that. So didn't understand what I wanted to go into. I didn't, I wasn't really in it for in medicine for the money. A whole lot of folks in my class were, and it, I think that's gotten even worse these days, uh, in terms of people just going into medicine for the money. Um, I was in it to, uh, to have a positive impact. Um, it came back to some of my own uh, personal ethics, personal belief systems. I felt like uh, my personal beliefs were that we have a maker and that our maker put us here to do something, not to just sit around or you know, get what we can out of life and die. So um, that was my focus. What, what can I do that would actually help? I couldn't figure out what really uh, made sense and um, started off in the ER because you could do that those days, you could go straight into the ER and and, uh, bide your time, pass a little time as you thought through things. It became really clear in the ER that the vast majority of things bringing people into the ER were things that should have, could have, would have, should have been prevented, delayed for a decade or prevented entirely. Um, this was in that, that year, a full-time ER was in, um, Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Uh, so a lot of things were like, uh, fish hooks in the hand. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, even that kind of trauma is stuff that really coulda, woulda, shoulda been prevented. And of course, things like heart attacks and strokes, big, big life-changing events, uh, there's also a major case to, what happened to this individual? Why did they come in with this problem? What could have been done differently? And um, that was when I had my sort of, um, mm, not sure what, uh, the, the decision-making moment that, look, it's fun. It's exciting to run a code on people. It's what they're going to do ER shows about in a few years. But it really doesn't help a whole lot. what would help even what would help is working with the patients to help them figure out how to motivate themselves how to what to do in terms of changing lifestyle now that's going to make a bureaucrat out of me or I felt like it would thirty um, something years ago and to a large extent it did you know i don't I, I enjoyed procedures I enjoyed uh, the thought of going into surgery but at the end of the day, you can't you can't uh, bypass your way out of a lifestyle problem. You can't stint your way out of a lifestyle problem. You know, it's all about lifestyle, and that tends to be more of an educational type of thing. Well, the the good side to that, you know, you fast forward thirty something years. I've been a corporate medical director for most of that time period retired a couple of times and uh you know had a gleam gleam in my eye to go back and just do more core prevention and um that was a great way to do it i i these days for example uh the past 48 hours past 24 hours i've had about what seven or 8,000 views. Well, when you think about that, uh, no, uh, 12,000 views. Average about six to eight minutes per view. Well, you know, I had medical staff that um, up to a thousand, over a thousand in a couple of areas. They tended to see, uh, in most cases, we tended to keep their visit rate down to eight eight to 16 per day. So my, my individual videos are seeing almost a comparable amount of patient time to what my docs were seeing when we had these huge medical staff. So, uh, uh,
1: and that the power all of leverage in- is huge. That power of leverage is huge. But did you know that going in, or or did you, so did when you're like, oh, I, I'm i going to start my YouTube channel because I can leverage this, or was there something else involved in that decision for choosing, say, a video-based platform?
2: Well, I, when I went into it, I did not at all think I would get that kind of leverage. I knew it was possible, but, you know, again, I'm coming out of 30-something years of that whole prevention message being about as popular as paint drying, (laughs) just, I had no expectation that there was going to be a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of uptake on it. So it was sort of a lark. It was a, you know, practice and again, you know, a trial. And for the first, gosh, six months, there were crickets, but I kept plugging away. And the crickets, I kept hearing crickets and then it was interesting, one night um, I got a bump and it doubled and then the new number tripled and uh, I started to realize, you know what, Um, yeah, maybe we're getting some traction. And so now I'm living and dying by by uptake. Actually, I'm just now discovering and beginning to learn the whole Science behind Facebook ads. You can actually generate a lot using Facebook ads. I'm um, I'm a consultant to a company called K Health. I don't know if you've heard of them. We talked. Yeah, we talked about it at the first meeting. Yeah. They um. Uh, they were small. Their channel was smaller than my channel, and they were smaller than me for a very very short time period. But they were very well uh, financed and they grew dramatically. Their, uh, oh gosh, their market cap is huge. I don't know if I can, uh, if I, I don't think I'm allowed to say the amount, but it's, it's like really, really big. Uh, um, way more than a few million. It's, you know, in, in billions kind of numbers. It's really, really big. And, And one of the key things they did, obviously they've got a great product, which we talked about more of a uh, use of true use of AI, artificial intelligence, to help patient uh, doctors and patients diagnose the illness. Um, so it's a high, extremely high quality product, but they invested a lot. They took a lot of uh, investor money on board early, and they invested a lot in Facebook ads. So unlike me, I was just, I didn't want to spend my, my and my wife's retirement income. I was stingy and selfish from that area, or had to be. Um, if I had been able to put a few million in Facebook ads and find somebody that knew how to do it, um, you know, we'd, we'd have a lot more uptake than we have now.
0: So since you didn't go that route and that heavy marketing through Facebook ads, and you started tinkering and started seeing an, an uptick... At, at that point, we're starting to get traction, what would you say are some of the um, things that you've learned along the way about YouTube, or, or things that if someone was to get started, like what it, what it took, what are the things you learned you needed to do, or maybe things you probably shouldn't do?
2: Well, um, I think the biggest thing is very similar to what you see in a whole bunch of areas of life, and that is, You're gonna get your nose punched in a lot. You're gonna get ignored a lot. And it is not a sprint. It's a marathon, a multi-year marathon. You really don't start seeing uh, traction until uh, years into it. But um, it's the other thing, a lot of people would say, well, you know, it's too late. I got into it four years ago, three or four years ago, And I don't think it's too late. It's not too late at all. You just need to, again, be patient and put the work in. Um, There's a a gazillion things I wish, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. One of the first big issues, and maybe the biggest issue that I regret is that um, I didn't start an email list long before long ago. I started one about a year ago. We're up to about 5,000 now. And um, again, I'm beginning to learn how you can grow that much faster. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not trying to make money with the channel. I'm trying to um, make it a... I see patients now as a part of this and most of my patients now come through the channel, almost all of them. Um, and I, I don't keep that money. I put it back into the channel to grow it. So the more money we can, uh, that we can get, the more we can grow the channel. Um, so there's several things that I just had no focus on, on, uh, selling anything, making any kind of money, any of that, just put the content out there. That was the right thing to do, but, um, I wish I'd done that email, uh, list a lot earlier. I wish I had learned, um, how to do, uh, to do ad campaigns i wish i'd learned a lot of that stuff a lot earlier i wish i'd learned the uh the technology you know they i used, I used to uh i didn't know how to make I, I was never any good at powerpoint i've learned that since then i used to print out pictures of what i was doing actually you can't see that because of the green screen anyhow green what i would do is i would hold the uh, <laughs> The, the picture in front of the, uh, the webcam itself and I'd get a lot of grief for that but again you know the content pulled me through.
0: Yeah so how did you get your emails from YouTube? I know there's some options if you have enough followers or views or minutes shown but how did you start or what do you think is the best way to capture emails if you're like a YouTube person or do you send them to a website?
2: Well, the, a very, very good question on a technical basis. So mm-hmm. if you look at YouTube, the advantage that YouTube has is it's a search engine. Mm-hmm. And it is owned, it's the, the second largest search engine in the world and it's owned by the largest search engine in the world. So uh, people, they, they clearly, when somebody searches for something, clearly YouTube stuff will come up. But because it's set up that way, uh, what you want? There's an SEO component to this, search engine optimization. So you want to find out what p- questions people are asking, and help answer those. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook is very, very different. It's uh, it's not a search engine, and in fact, you put something on there, and it's going to disappear for within a few days. Um, and so you have to figure out how am I going to get emails like you said what what we do is we redirect them to a website and the website has some components on it where uh, we collect emails and so on a regular basis I'll say you know we'd love to have you as part of the community Um, on the channel itself there's a little that's a little outdated old ugly video that says look you know we're not going to sell your email address we're not going to spam you with stuff, but if you'd like to get uh, more of our content, please uh, sign up for the community. Gotcha. So
1: I, I think it's interesting about this is um, it seems you you leveraged YouTube for a lot of the discussions that we would like to take place in medicine, particularly those around prevention, uh, you know, in educational uh, materials and things, which we know traditional medical practice don't allow, say don't allow, but they're not they don't actively facilitate that meaning education takes some time a lot of times when you're repeating the same discussion over and over again and being able then to just start off and you said you start off with simple videos with not a lot of technology lifting up the paper as your powerpoint so i guess it was that was a manual powerpoint full manual use there uh it'll it it seems like you really leverage that ability to educate around prevention issues, and then YouTube provided you the, the opportunity to do that. Um, so what, I guess, and I, I think we danced around this a little bit, though, when you started doing these YouTube videos, was that your only intention? Was just, hey, you know what, no matter what happens, I, if I'm going to put up this interesting material that maybe I've learned in these high-end conferences that I think that uh, people in my community would be interested in. Or was there a specific type of educational focus that you wanted to do when you started your your YouTube platform?
2: Well, um, not exactly sure how to answer that. I, I will I will say this: um, I've always, you know, when you first learn about prevention, you start learning that again, it's all lifestyle. It's all lifestyle, and nothing, you know. So therefore, the doc, there's not much that the highest and best use of a doctor is not writing prescriptions or doing surgery. Uh, but that's what we get paid to do. So what do we do? We write prescriptions and do procedures. Um, so as the channel began to catch on, I began to realize, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I've spent my life repeating, uh, You know, this is, these are the issues with diet. These are the issues with prediabetes. And um, then I began to realize. So I repeated, uh, basically, I was talking about plaque in the arteries. And I had, what, 12,000 discussions over the past 24 hours about plaque in the arteries. So it was a way that I could now scale that. That part that 's been left out of medicine because of insurance reasons, they left out education because how do you you know how do you reimburse for education? I understand why they why they did that, but it gutted the most important part of medicine. It took it right out and you know re reset all the docs on doing prescriptions and and procedures, so that became just on a functional basis. An aha moment. The reason I'm struggling over whether or not that's the correct answer, part of your question was, is there a is a specific overarching issue? And clearly there's a specific overarching health issue that um, for the most part I end up doing in my practice and it's the major focus point that we have in the channel as well. And that has to do with unrecognized Um, prediabetes. The C- if you go to the CDC site, they'll say, well, there's 80, maybe 100 million American adults with prediabetes. And 90% of them don't know it. And most patients think, well, you know, even if they, you know, those that 10% of patients that know it, they think, well, uh, my doc says I've got a little sugar. And I just need to decrease my, you know, uh, instead of two teaspoons of sugar in my coffee in the morning, I just do one. And that's the solution. And other than that, it's not a problem until and unless I get full-blown diabetes. That is wrong. Unfortunately, if you look at the the science about what primary care physicians know, that's not that far from what most primary care physicians know. but. Unfortunately, again, also unfortunately, uh, if you keep if you have high glucose or, and or high insulin values for very long, you burn the lining of your arteries. That causes uh, that allows cholesterol to leak into the artery wall. It gets stuck there, and that is what causes plaque. You get enough plaque, you get enough inflammation. Your your immune system attacks that plaque. The uh, your artery walls start to look like my face was looking a few few weeks ago. I was using it's a you, you're, you know you, Your audience is all docs. I, I inherited some bad basal cell uh, genes from my mom. She's had 250. I've had a, about 100, and so every few months I need to go through an amyquamide thing. Even docs don't understand what inflammation is in the artery wall. But when you start looking at psoriasis or other, you know, s- inflammation on the outside and you see that oozing, you see that cracking, you see the bleeding, they say, oh yeah, that's an inflammation attack on your skin. Well, guess what? The same thing happens on your artery walls. You ever, you he- ever heard of a fellow named Tim Russert? No. I,
1: I, I, please let us know. <laughs>
2: uh it was it was either meet the nation or it was a news guy huh yeah i think it was meet the press yeah uh, so kind of a heavy press. set guy he was the he was very popular he ran that show for longer than anybody a decade his uh he had already had a a positive stress test i mean he'd had a a positive calcium score he and his doc were having some problems. Michael Newman was the name of the doc. And he, he was continued to spread in the middle. Is getting beyond 35, beyond 36 is a waist size. He was having some blood pressure problems. He goes in, he sees his doc. Uh, the doc says, well, why don't we do a stress test? And what was it? April 13th. 2008, 10, something like that. He has a negative stress test, breathes a sigh of relief. His doc breathes a sigh of relief. He goes back to work. And a couple of months later, he has, a, he's doing voiceovers for Meet the Press. And his last words were, what's happening to, uh, to his producer as she walked in. Then he had, he had a heart attack and died. here's where I'm going with that whole little story. They did the autopsy, and they said his arteries looked like the pimply face of a teenager with acne. Mm -hmm. Little just pustular kind of lesions all over those artery walls. And that's what's going on.
1: Well, and that that brings up so many um, issues from from the from the healthcare system where we really sort of have this black and white thinking, first of all, that uh, we wait until there's something to quote unquote treat rather than doing preventive behavior. Um, From a, from a YouTube standpoint education standpoint, you know, these discussions that have been pushed out of the healthcare system where we have now platforms, really, we have the resources for physicians to go out and start, learning both for themselves as well as to educate their patients around these issues that isn't, you know, just because you have a negative stress test doesn't mean you have nothing to worry about. Just because you've got negative screening, anything doesn't mean you have nothing to worry about. You have to kind of look, you have to look at everything rather than just one little, one little vector point. Um, And so from, from again, kind of returning to this, this YouTube ish, the, the YouTube side, where do you think for other physicians who maybe are are thinking, well, how can I leverage these new technologies in such a way to benefit my patients? Where would you recommend for them to start?
2: I, I would recommend that they don't at all. Just leave it all up to me. <laughs> don't want the competition. <laughs> now, think, of, think about an area of medicine. You guys are, uh, are, are anesthesiologists, so you may be in one of the areas, well, that and maybe pathology, where you have uh, less communication with patients. But as you do work in pain medicine, you've got to spend huge amounts of time in terms of, or you've got to have need to spend a lot of time with patients educating them, right? Oh yeah, we, we, If, if yeah. We we're doing
0: clinical pain, yes.
1: Yeah, but, but I, would, I would say that's a, yeah, as someone who has been somewhat in view, involved with leveraging internet technologies, you're exactly correct, is um, for, for myself and, and is I do leverage YouTube, podcasting, educational modalities in order to, to provide this education that is completely deficient in traditional pain practice. And so that's But I'm what has kind of interested in your perspective is for, for you as a preventive doc, it seems to make sense. As a pain physician, I would say it definitely makes sense but do you think there are other specialties as well that, that they could leverage this platform and, and, and not compete with you? I mean, that was the other thing, but, and, and not and be in direct competition with you. Uh,
2: I have to tell you, I don't. that's sort of like me worrying about uh, running, out, <laughs> running out of patience. <laughs> um, so, um, well, the first part of my answer was to try to underline that point. How many specialties don't involve a lot of patient communication? Not many. Not many. <laughs> I mean, even if you're a surgeon, it's like, again, you're doing some procedures and surgeons classically don't communicate that well. Now, I'm sure I'll get a lot of surgery, surgeon haters for making that comment, but... Um, uh, you can make an assumption that surgeons don't have to communicate that well, but that's a naive assumption, yeah. very naive. Well, you think pre-op
1: and post-operative care. So even if you're, if you're a surgeon, there'd be such a way that you could say, hey, you know, this, I, this is the surgery I'm recommending. Um, I've created this video that'll give you all the, the points, and then why don't you watch it and come back and talk to me it seems like a, an excellent opportunity. And it even seems better if you're a physician who doesn't enjoy talking to people, because then you can frame this up once,
0: mm-hmm. do
1: it really well, and now you, you just get the relevant questions. So now yeah. I agree with you. And then I was sitting here, and when you mentioned pathologists, I am like, well, what about pathologists? I'm like, well, a pathologist, if you're thinking about what their audience is, their audience could be other physicians. And so as a pathologist, now you have a. What would I want my physicians to know when they're sending a slide in, or about this, about the questions that they may have? And now there's another opportunity for them to create those educational videos, to make them in such a way that that they can say the information that they want, that they can direct their audience, the, f- the other physicians and other clinicians too. Um, so it just seems to make a lot of sense.
2: So it it actually has another advantage, and that is a pull versus push, and don 't expect in, uh, much of the audience to get that analogy I used to, I, actually for ten years of my life, I was the medical director for Toyota North America, and so see a lot of things in terms of uh, uh, lean methodology. Uh, a pull is where the client is able to go get the the Uh, product or the service when they want it. They pull it off the shelf as opposed to having to wait for the provider to push it to the client. So where that comes in here is, you know what, you don't have to wait to get an appointment with a doc three months from now and hope that he's on time and hope that you you can make all of that face-to-face connection if you've got it, if you've got it recorded, you can get a, a lion's share of that communication done, and make these make folks aware. And they pull it when if they wake up at two in the morning and have nothing to do, they can still pull that down off the shelf, and use that information.
0: Yeah, uh, great. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely not um, forcing it on someone when they're not ready for it. The student shows up uh, when they're ready. And, you know, you are talking about the surgeon and and all these other things that seem to be, there's critical components for different types of uh, different um, specialties. But it's even, I think even more critical, the amount of, um, or the quality of communication, because if you're gonna allow someone to cut on you, you want to trust them, Um, you wanna know that they care. And sometimes by the mere fact that you are being thorough and giving them a lot of information to really, show that, I mean, show that you care, that they know, um, I think that's, that's a a huge value too. Um, You know, I I know we're trying to focus on, on YouTube, um, and I know you've mentioned sticking with it, and it's not a sprint, it's more of a marathon, um, and you have to put the content, obviously, it's got to be at least quality content as far as the information, even if you're doing the, you know, the manual PowerPoint, and it's going to take you a while to (laughs) transition to other, um, other means. But, um, you know, obviously, there's a consistency that I think that we have to point out, too, is that there has to be, even though you're talking about it being a marathon, there is a consistency component that kind of like your audience is uh, expecting something. Can you speak to that? Like, You know, just knowing how you're getting feedback, and then it kind of pulls you to keep doing more?
2: So, um, once I realized I was starting to get some uh, uptake on this, and I got serious about it, I started uh, listening to these other videos. There was a fellow named Daryl Eves, who's a big YouTube uh, video guru. And at that point in time, he said, look, you really need to do four videos per week. If you're gonna be doing less than that, you're not really going to drive that large of an audience. And so, whether he was right or not, and I think he was, especially for that point in time, um, here was the way our schedule worked. Janice, my wife, had uh, stuff she did Saturday morning, some working out at the Y and seeing friends and stuff like that. I would get up, uh, usually between 6.30 and 7, and uh, for the next four hours, <clears throat> I would be think I would try to figure out a topic. I would get, I would research it, which took most of the time. Then I would print out the images that I was gonna hold up in front of that uh, mm-hmm. webcam. And then I'd-, I'd give my talk. So each-, each talk averaged about an hour from um, research to printing the documents to getting them in front of the thing. So, um, yeah, I did, uh, I, I, I was disciplined and got four out per week for a couple of years. And that really did create the, um, uh, a major, uh, a major momentum for the channel. Now, since then, the algorithm, you know, the algorithms keep changing and, uh, the algorithm has gotten away from focusing on your channel at all. And it really focuses on the video. Um, And that's where knowing a little bit about SEO, search engine optimization, helps. If there was one video that has built my channel and and continues to sustain it, it was a video that I did on reversing my arterial plaque. Mm. And as you think about that, you hear the title, it was all the title, you know, how many people don't want to know how to reverse plaque in their arteries. If you look at And I was talking about that for myself. I actually experienced it. Um, I was using a technology called CIMT, carotid intima media thickness test. It's an ultrasound technology to look um, at um, arterial age. And I was always a statin hater, medication hater. My family called me doctor three days. I think we might've mentioned that before because I would go through the history. They would say, "Daddy, I'm sick," and I say, "Oh, tell me about it." And oh, I've got a sore throat. How long you had it? Any ear pain? And I'd say, "Yeah, you are sick." And then they'd say, "Well, aren't you going to give me some medicine?" And I said, "No, I think what we need to do is wait three days." And so that was their version of mean old Daddy, who, doctor three days, he could give them medication and make it go away, but he wouldn't do it. And it was. You guys know your docs and most of your audience is going to understand antibiotics are the worst thing you can do for somebody who's every time they have a sore throat. So anyway, um, I felt the same way about statins and, uh, when I finally, I I expected to do a victory lap when I got my first IMT, uh, result and, um, didn't. I uh, actually had, at age 55, I had 73-year-old arteries, and I decided I needed to bite the bullet, and one of the things I did was take a statin. Um, I dropped about 10 pounds. I made some other changes, um, and it was very interesting. Uh, We can get into some of the uh, back and forth about that uh, study technology, but even if you say, well, you know, that was just variation, no, it wasn't. I had a linear pattern over the next eighteen months where my arterial age dropped down to fifty two so had a significant improvement um, if you If you look up uh, one of the common reactions I get on that is my cardiologist says that's impossible, and you know what? most doctors do think it's impossible because it's not what they routinely see. But if you look at, um, you look at the science and yes, uh, plaque, uh, regression is very, very possible. It's not the topic for today. I could get into it sometime if, if you're interested, but, but the, the real point, the reason we got into that is, uh, what can build a channel SEO, search engine optimization, in other words, answering the question that the public is asking is very, very important, especially in a, in a search engine format like YouTube. It's not so important in a, in a social media format like Facebook where really what you're wanting to do is, it's called pattern interrupt. You know, the, with, with Facebook, you're, they're scrolling, right? And it's not so much that they don't do, you don't do searches in Facebook. What you do in Facebook is you're just scrolling. So what you want to do there is pattern interrupt. You want to show something that says, wait a minute, what does that mean? And then they stop.
0: Yeah. videos. What's that? Certain images or videos will draw people's attention on a scroll. Uh,
1: curiosity versus versus search and the intent that's Correct. behind it and YouTube it, to, traditionally has been a platform where people search you know how do you do this or how yeah. do you do that which I think also again makes it ideal for physicians a lot of ways because you kind of know the questions that you're getting because you have patients coming in and asking the same question over and over and over again and rather than getting frustrated and say I'm saying this thing over and over again why don't you create a YouTube video that you can then say, well, I made a YouTube video that answered the specific question. And then not only are you helping the people in your own practice, but there's the potential to help other people in other areas of the the nation or world with that same video. If, if, if it's done well, if they find that. Um, So just to, I know he's taken up a lot of your time. I don't want to use too much of your time, but I'm kind of, interested in where are you going next? Like, where, where are you using? You, you've had this video platform now. You're on YouTube. You've, you've had the bumps. You've had a presence. Where do you think you're going to go next with this? Or where do you think uh, either YouTube or leveraging techni- ne- technology is going to be for medicine in general?
2: Well, I, um, I don't have much of a goal other than wiping out plaque and uh, prediabetes. <laughs> Small the- goal. Now, so then the next question becomes, well, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, I am just now starting to branch out and starting to get to where the channel itself and seeing patients and investing that money back into the channel is allowing us to start doing um, things like Facebook ads. So we're getting, uh, we're starting to invest money in marketing and, and advertising, and I've seen that work dramatically with groups that I work with, like K Health, and um, we don't have those kind of, of tens of millions of dollars of investor money. And but actually, um, I've got a friend who's working with me now. who used to run a uh, a um, a fund a, an investment fund and we're getting he's getting a uh, a a worksheet set up a pitch uh, deck and we're probably going to start looking around see if uh, folks are interested in investing in this activity
0: possible awesome. cool. that's awesome well i i think um you know uh, out of respect for your time i i, I think we should uh you know, kind of summarize some of the things that you brought into this conversation that, you know, even if you don't have anything other than the content you want to share with the world, just schedule the time, make it convenient. If it's, you know, someone else's uh, in your life and you just need to make sure that you hold yourself accountable, Um, set the time, be consistent, don't expect things to happen overnight. And that, you know, just knowing that you're putting out the information that's intended, has the intention to try to help people. And if you can align it with the keywords that people are searching for in some of the largest search engines, Google, YouTube, then people will find you eventually. And if the content's good, the numbers will reflect that. And that there's the capacity to magnify whether people invest or you invest into the marketing itself, such as in Facebook ads. Um, And to not be afraid to try something new. Obviously, you were not afraid to try something new. So I just want to, you know, applaud you for having faith that this is was a good step in the right direction. And um, thank you for joining us again as a guest on the Change Physician podcast.
2: Thank you very much. If I could make one other comment that sure. we sort of danced around during this thing. And um, you know, you, you, you're constantly, whenever you're giving content, one of the things you're trying to do is knock down the next objection. And I think if I'm in the physician audience, a common objection is, well, you're trying to wholesale a doctor-patient relationship. You can't do that. You need to be able to, to speak and listen. Very, very true. But again, you know, if you think about me getting that, the key information out uh, 1,200 times yesterday, think of how much time that has now freed up for me to listen to the patient when I'm seeing the patient one-on-one, rather than having to repeat the same thing over and over and over. So you have to begin to, once this kind of information, this wholesale, uh, communication becomes available. You have to realize it's sort of like going from, uh, regular snail mail to email to text. There, what we're doing is there are multiple levels and types of communication. This is just one of them. Mm -hmm.
0: And you make it convenient and potentially repeatable for those that need to hear it more than just once. So, um, For, for, for everyone out there, you'll see in the show notes uh, how to find his channel um, and to be able to go and listen to those on repeat if you want to. <laughs> there's, there's lots of great content out there. And uh, thank you for, for joining us today on the Change Physician podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Melissa Cady, joined by my co-host, Dr. Kevin kakarl and check us out at the